Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Well, I want to turn the, the microphone over to uh, Pastor John Goings. John is no stranger to us. He's been an elder for a number of years, and he's going to bring the word for us today. Thank you, brother. Well, good morning. <clears throat> it is a joy and a privilege to be with you this morning, to be able to share God's word with you this morning. Thank you all for coming out to the garden on this beautiful May morning. It is always a, a joy to just hear everyone uh, gather together, sing the praises of Jesus, and to be able to share God's Word with you. So if you have your Bibles with you today, or your devices, whatever um, method you use to get into God's Word, we're going to be in the book of Matthew this morning as we continue our summer series <clears throat> looking at the book of Matthew. We're in chapter 8 this morning. Today we're going to be considering a pretty lengthy section of Scripture. We're going to be in verses 18 through 34. Um, so there's a lot of activity going on. There's a lot of, of teaching available to us in these passages. Um, and, and my goal here this morning is to kind of take a, a higher level view of the text this morning and see what's happening here and, and look at these verses through the lens of, of one of Matthew's primary themes in his gospel, that of Jesus, the Messiah. He's presenting Jesus as the fulfillment of the promises and God's word through all of history in the person of Jesus, the Messiah. And we're going to take a look at our verses today from that lens. <clears throat> so um, kind of the, the, the goal this morning is, is um, we at, at the Goings Ranch, um, we, we try to spend as much uh, regular time as possible in God's word with our kids. And, and I know that's a struggle for, for parents across the board. Um, we've got a bunch of littles still. And, um, but we try to do it regularly. And, and to be honest, more often than not, these times end with mommy and daddy needing to ask for forgiveness for, for yelling too much at our kids to be quiet. But one of the things that we try to teach and instill in our children is that everything that we love, everything that we um, do as a family, the things that we talk about in our home, the lives that we live in our neighborhood and community, and again, we don't do these things perfectly, the, the people we encounter, all these things matter because Jesus matters. And, and kind of an example of, of what I'm talking about there is like, we try to teach our kids that we give gifts to people because we love them. And because God has loved us richly and generously and has given us the gift of his son, Jesus. So we're trying to make that connection with our kids that things matter and things are important because Jesus ultimately matters. And so that's kind of where we're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning. Jesus is of utmost importance for each and every one of our lives. He is the source of our life. He is the sustainer of our life. And life finds its meaning and fulfillment in Jesus, the Messiah. 
And that's really, that's part of his role as the Messiah, to do that for us. And that's how he impacts our lives moment by moment. Even when we're unaware that he's doing this. So I pray this morning that as we consider God's word and his work, we would see that Jesus is the Messiah of God's kingdom and he is worth following at any cost. So let's look at our text this morning. Again, there's a lot happening here and I pray that God would bless the hearing of his word and that the spirit would be active among us to unite our hearts in the gospel of Jesus. And as we look at our text this morning, I want us to consider three clarifications about the cost to following Jesus. So let's begin. Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. Now when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to go to the other side. And a scribe came up to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me, and leave the dead to bury their own dead. So as I said, we're going to look at some clarifying factors about the cost of following Jesus today. And that first clarification that we see in our passage today is that the cost of following Jesus is great. And he must be our first and our highest priority in life. So about this passage, one commenter suggests We have no reason to believe here that either of these, uh, the scribe or the disciple, are in some kind of way trying to test Jesus. That does happen a lot in Jesus' ministry, but here we don't don't have that kind of um, uh, occurrence going on here. We don't have any reason to believe that that's what happened. We can assume that these comments about following Jesus were made with good intentions and in earnest. Um, we see in Jesus' response how he addresses the two uh, most important, I'd argue, uh, realms of our day-to-day life. Jesus meets their earnestness of the disciple and the scribe, um, and he is brutally honest with them. His responses raise the importance of what's truly necessary for life in God's kingdom. We see this as he addresses the home and relationships. And again, this is a major theme of Matthew's gospel. Jesus is what is necessary for life in God's kingdom. Matthew wants us to understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's work, of his word. He is the Messiah. In other words, for us, our lives are made whole. We are redeemed and renewed and redefined and ransomed and made whole by Jesus. So Jesus establishes his priority in our lives here on earth by first addressing the home. He says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. 
So this is that idea that Jesus didn't find his home here in his earthly ministry, but rather he is letting us know that the cost of following Christ is great. We are longing for a home. And only Jesus can offer, a true, offer us a true home in God's kingdom. Our highest ideals for, for building a home, for the comforts that we experience, for the relationships that we have in that home, for the security that we feel in those homes, that will only, all those ideals will only be ultimately and fully realized in Jesus as our first and highest priority in the kingdom of God. So let me ask you, what do you guys think of when you think about home? What images come to mind? It's very windy. Try to block the wind this way. What governs your home? What do you build your home on? What is its foundation? Sin has deceived us to believe that our lives are our own that we are like God in that way, that we hold our lives, that we build our lives, that we grow our lives, that we sustain our lives. And Jesus challenges that notion and he reveals that our only true home and our only life is with Jesus. So let me ask you, as we consider the cost, what is life worth with Jesus? I think this is where so many get lost because it's kind of a trick question. So what I mean by that is, is, is we think about our day-to-day life, and, and, and let me ask you, is, is health of greater worth than Jesus? I'll follow Jesus wherever you go, in earnestness and with good intentions, like the disciples we see in this passage, as long as I'm able, as long as I'm healthy enough to do it, as long as I'm physically prepared and equipped to, to handle the demands of following Jesus. Is wealth of greater worth than Jesus? I'll follow Jesus as long as my financial vitality is neither threatened or in some cases enhanced. Then it becomes an even greater challenge because there's an allure attached to money. Is my comfort worth more than following Jesus? My day-to-day comfort I'll follow Jesus unless it gets too inconvenient, unless it requires extra time of me, demands on my schedule, demands on my comfort. Is reputation worth more than Jesus? I'll follow Jesus until my social standing in some way is challenged or impacted or, heaven forbid, I have to share my faith with Jesus. My reputation may suffer. Is that worth more than following Jesus? Is a sense of belonging, as we think about home, is our sense of belonging of greater worth than Jesus? I'll follow Jesus until everyone else decides not to, or everyone else tells me I'm doing it wrong, and then I'll follow them. Think of it this way. Is Jesus where you find your home? Or are you struggling just to find room for Jesus in your home? Jesus 
is our highest and first priority in the kingdom of heaven. His second response here helps us identify this highest priority by establishing his authority over our lives by addressing relationships. We were made in God's likeness and image, Genesis 1 tells us. We see in God's character a perfect, holy, relational being who fully exists and uh, functionally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit united as one. And we were created to enjoy relationships. Jesus establishes here that the only relationship upon which to base all other relational activity is our relationship with God. Are relationships worth life without Jesus? This is a hard one, and I'm not saying that relationships don't matter to Jesus. I'm not saying that you shouldn't desire to be with those who you love and who love you. I am saying something about the cost of following Jesus, though, because that's what Jesus is telling us. If our hope for life is placed even in those closest and dearest relationships, because we are sinners, because sin has impacted and devastated everything, we will end up disappointed. In fact, <laughs> going back to talking about life in our home, we get disappointed with others pretty easily. But Jesus is our Messiah, and he brings us ultimate reality and fulfillment through his work. And here's some brutal honesty that Jesus gives us here. And, and this, this response of Jesus to the man that wants to go bury his father again, we shouldn't think anything less of the man. He has good intentions. He has a, 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 call, a sense of responsibility to his family and his loved ones. And hear what Jesus says. Let the dead bury their dead. Does this response seem kind of odd or callous to you? I'd argue that Jesus' response here is not diminishing relationships. He is a relational God. What he is saying is that all of life is found and sourced in him. And that should be our priority as we consider the cost of following Jesus. Because in all honesty, apart from Jesus, his words, that's what we are. We are dead, going around, burying dead people. That's the great hope of life without Jesus. And he's here to tell us today, no, there's a better way. Follow Jesus. He reveals to us our need for him in the sharpest way possible. There is nothing of greater value in this life than following Jesus. Homes, relationships, comforts, convenience, <clears throat> nothing is worth living without Jesus. We need to trust him as our first and highest priority for our daily lives because all that we hold sacred and dear is sourced in Jesus, the Messiah of God's kingdom. He meets us in our daily lives to remind us of this, to remind us of his lordship over all 
things, that we can trust him with all things that we hold dear. He is a good God and he is worth our fellowship. The second clarification of the cost of following Jesus is that it is a great cost, but he is powerful and worthy of our obedience. Let's look back at our text. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And when they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? O you of little faith. Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Friends, let's learn a lesson. Let's take a lesson from the cosmos, from all creation. We do live in a dark, powerful, chaotic, turbulent, dangerous creation. A creation that Romans 8 tells us is groaning, waiting to be free from its bondage of corruption. So a little context to this point in Matthew's gospel. Jesus has been our friendly neighborhood Messiah. He's really just been going out through the towns. He's been healing people. He's been uh, preaching the word. He gets baptized. And that's really all he's done up until this point. And I'm not trying to belittle all of that. But we get, in this instance, in this scene, we get turned up a notch in our story. I mean, can you imagine this event in your mind? Jesus and his disciples get into the boat at night to cross the great lake, this great sea, and a great storm arises. I mean, we're talking total darkness, water crashing into the boat, the sounds of boards in the boat creaking and cracking as it's being torn apart, howling winds, zero visibility, the violent rocking of the boat on the sea, and a group of men completely helpless and powerless as creation is literally collapsing in on them. Their desperation rightly turns to terror as the enormity of the storm convinces them of how small they actually are. Friends, life is dangerous. Our text is crystal clear on this point. There's a fragility to our lives because of the decay of sin. Sin declares to the Lord that we want our lives for ourselves, that we do not trust Him with our lives. God's curse against sin gives us what we have demanded for ourselves. We have demanded a life apart from the source of life, who is Jesus. And as we find ourselves living in a dangerous world where the loss of our lives is an ever-present threat, we find ourselves oftentimes helpless and powerless against God's creation. And where do we find Jesus? He's at the front of the boat, asleep. Not only that, but when they wake him up, he finds it curious that these men are afraid. 
And he cautions them because of their lack of faith in Jesus. We need to trust Jesus' authority as Messiah because Jesus' authority has ultimate power over all creation. Listen to what he says. Listen to what our text says. Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. In a single utterance from Jesus, creation submits and obeys Jesus. I'd hazard a guess that if the men on the boat had not experienced a need to change their shorts, they probably did in that moment. We can't imagine the power of this moment. I mean, I don't know everyone in attendance today, but I'm guessing that neither, none of us have found themselves in this position where all of creation obeys and submits to the word of a single man. The sheer power of the Messiah as he exercises his authority over creation, the same power that spoke all things into existence, the power that manifested itself in the word of a man who was sleeping in the boat, not just moments prior. This is a game changer for us. Incomprehensible amazement saturates and overtakes the disciples. Look at their reaction. What sort of man is this? And we have an answer. It's in our text. Creation clarifies this point for us. Creation tells us what sort of man this is. He is worthy. He is worthy of our obedience. This is the same creation that declares the glory of God and testifies to his handiwork, Psalms 19 tells us. And we see here that there is no limit to Jesus' authority. And creation loudly proclaims his worthiness to us this morning. Let's learn from creation. Let's learn from the cosmos, friends. And let's look back at Jesus' question. Why are you afraid? Do you think when things went calm that the answer in the disciples' minds may have changed a little bit? From one moment, they're afraid of the storms. They're afraid of losing their lives. They're afraid of what's happening on that boat. And then all of a sudden, everything's calm. Let me ask you, this is a great time uh, for us to consider, why are we afraid? of following Jesus. What do we have to fear? There is no danger. There is no darkness. There is no chaos. There is nothing in all of God's kingdom and creation that poses a threat to Jesus. I'll say it again. We need to trust Jesus' authority as Messiah because of his ultimate power over all of creation. If all creation submits to the, th the authority of a single word from Jesus, how much more should we trust him with all of our lives? He is powerful and worthy of our obedience. The third and final clarification of the cost of following Jesus. Yes, the cost of following Jesus is great, 
And not everyone will be willing to pay that cost. We are spiritual beings. We are not just matter in motion. And let's look back at our text here. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Jesus encounters two men whose spirits had been taken captive by demonic spiritual forces. And this terrifies us. This frightens people. It's hard to understand what that means, what that looks like, what that would feel like. It's hard to talk about. It's hard to know how something like that can happen. And we're given no indication from Scripture how these men were overtaken by these demonic forces. And we see three threats emerge in this passage from this spiritual domain. First, we see the total loss of of agency and volition for these two men. They had no control over anything. Two, we see that there there is a reality of spiritual demonic forces at work here. And three, there is a threat posed to the other people. They couldn't even go by this way because of these two men. And Jesus is, con- is confronted by two men who have been enslaved by spiritual darkness. So when I say this frightens us, that's what I'm talking about. We don't like to think that our safety is in danger. We don't like to think that there are... Uh, that our spirits are troubled by things that we can't see. We don't like to think that our lives are not under our control. We don't like to think that there are things that we can't reason through or reason about. We don't like to be in the dark. Darkness is scary. The Gospel of John begins, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. What a great hope we have in Jesus Given our, our druthers, most of us would like to believe that, that we are entitled to or have some innate ability in and of ourselves to live good, 
meaningful, decent lives, lives of light. Some would argue that we are a light unto ourselves, that at some level we control our fate. We determine what is good and right and true and just. And these are great intentions. But Jesus understands our true reality. He understands the darkness that we live in. And he understands that we are helpless in many respects. And he meets us in our good intentions with an accomplished work that is greater than anything that we can accomplish for ourselves. He brings light to our darkness. It is only through Jesus that we have life. And in his command to go, he demonstrates his sovereignty over the spiritual domain of God's kingdom. Again, there is no end to Jesus' authority. We need to trust Jesus as Messiah because there is no other means of salvation for our lives. As an act of mercy, Jesus heals the demon-possessed men and gives them a new life. And the people in the city, they find a new target for their fear. It's no longer these two demon-possessed men. It's the guy that just took care of that. They ask Jesus. No, they don't ask. They beg Jesus to leave. Friends, the cost of following Jesus is great. And not everyone is willing to pay the price. When confronted by powerful forces beyond our control, we tend to avoid, we tend to put up our defenses against the things that we can't understand and cannot control. How do you respond when life seems out of control? Do you look to Jesus and trust, or are you still struggling and begging Him to leave you alone? Either way, please do not leave here this morning without hearing about the amazing grace that is available from a good Messiah. Each of these clarifications about the cost of following Jesus demands a response from us this morning. All three of these events expose a fear in our lives, a fear of losing our lives to something, whether it be the cost of following Jesus, the danger of following Jesus, or the evil that may come as we follow Jesus. And Jesus invites us to find life in Him. He is, he is offering us an amazing gift of grace. When we believe Jesus is the Messiah of God's kingdom, that in Him is life, when we surrender every aspect of our lives and place our faith in Jesus the Messiah, we live in the full joy and hope of knowing that there is no cost too great that He has not paid to ransom us. There is no danger that He has not faced to show His love for us. And there is no evil He has not overcome to bring God glory and make a way for us to know salvation, the forgiveness of our sins, to be washed clean and enjoy relationship and fellowship with Jesus. Yes, the cost is great, but He is greater. He holds 
your life. You are his and nothing on earth or in heaven will separate you from his love. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is worth your whole life? Are you ready to surrender to him, to pay the cost to follow Jesus? Let's pray.